you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. How long, O Lord, to the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we come to Psalm 13 today, and uh, it could well be entitled Sighing to Sing or Anguish to Assurance. In 2011, Helen and I had the privilege of going to the Katoomba Christian Convention, and uh, we sat under the ministry of a guy I'd never heard before, uh, Dale Ralph Davis. He's an Old Testament scholar at the uh, Reform Theological College or Seminary in Mississippi. Uh, He was a very thoughtful and uh, a helpful expositor. Well, this week I had a surprise. I went to a section of my library and there I discovered one of the books uh, still wrapped in plastic. I pulled it down and it was a commentary by Ralph Davis on Psalm 13 to 24. Uh, The title of the book uh, grabbed my attention. The title was Slogging Along in the Paths of Righteousness. And it got me thinking that At times, prayer is really hard going and a real slog. Uh, For many years now, I participated in a bike event run by a bunch of Christians connected with the Pakenham Baptist Church. And wouldn't you know it, the name of the event is called The Slog. Uh, It's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for needy folk in the area over the years. It's a tough ride either to sail or up into the Strathlecky Ranges, and it's full of variables, different routes, different distances, hills, lots of traffic, wind, heat, rain, and sharp objects ready to cause punctures. Your fitness is sorely tested. Just ask Stuart Eban uh, for an insight into the ride. Uh, on the way, uh, you come across all these variables, and it's a reminder to to me today that we face lots of variables in praying. Prayer is never straightforward. We have mood changes and temptations and sinful slip-ups. We have anxieties and fears and and, and frustrations and distractions, bad sleeps, and then we face different scenarios in life. The great Welsh preacher based in London during the the Second World War, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said once, prayer is not easy. It is never as easy as breathing. 
It becomes especially difficult, we know, when we lose sight of God's presence or when we fall into disobedience or depression or illness. Here in Psalm 13, we've got a depiction of a prayer course that is a slog. It contains a journey from self to God. It uh, has an important but simple little outline. And the outline consists of three points of two verses each. In the first, it's David's sense of abandonment uh, by God. In the second, his request is to gain God's ear. And the third features his recovered trust in God. There's a turning point in the psalm. And the turning point of the psalm, this prayer psalm, is trusting God's unfailing love. So let's see, firstly, um, his questioning and how faith gets buried by the anguish of anxiety. You, you spot that in verses 1 and 2. The psalmist is anxious about being abandoned by God. How long, he says. In fact, he says it four times here in these couple of opening verses. How long? Now, if you're a parent and you've been engaged in a long road trip in the car, you've heard that. You've heard that from your children. Uh, they say, how long? How far have we got to go? Are we there yet? Uh, and those questions, when you stop and consider them, are fairly shallow. Uh, David's question here in Psalm 13 is far deeper and far more intense. It's a desperate plea of one having trouble with God. He is wrestling with the Lord's delays. He is feeling marooned. He's feeling left in the dark. He is lamenting the possibility of being mocked and of, of not seeing change. And the danger for him is not disgruntlement. The danger is he's, he's going to grow weary and he's going to wear out. He's going to wear out in waiting for God to make a move. Ralph Davis says, we go on in our troubles for longer than we think the mercy of God would allow. I was reading a little bit about John Calvin during the week, and, and he had a Latin motto back in the 1600s, which meant, how long, O Lord? Calvin often lamented. His lament was about uh, a concern for the calamities of the Calvinistic French Protestants, nicknamed the Huguenots. They held um, strongly to justification by faith and had a running 30-year civil war with the Catholics. Now, Calvin's lament wasn't uh, to do with his own impatient spirit, but his lament was out of uh, anxiety for the well-being of his fellow believers. Now, here in Psalm 13, uh, we see David's prolonged struggle. He's feeling abandoned. He's feeling dejected. Uh, and emotionally distraught, and he laments his triple trouble. He has trouble with God, he has trouble with himself, and he has trouble with his enemies. And uh, that trouble with his enemies probably or possibly concerned his time of being hunted by Saul. Whatever, anguish is always complicated. For David, the absence of God, the anxiety of his soul, and the supremacy of his enemies was a whole bundle of trouble. I wonder today whether you can think of a time when you've had cause to lament, like uh, David did. 
when you've uh, cried out to God, cried out to God for his attendance upon your life. For me, it was in my late teenage years when I was set to be a farmer. The avenue to farming involved developing a 3,000-acre bush property on the southern coast of Western Australia. My father described it as wild country that needed a lot of taming. The land was littered with trees and stumps and rocks and the bush was inhabited by kangaroos and wallabies and emus and lots of snakes. My father and I lived in an unlined tin shed for months on end, working 12 to 15 hours a day. Dad was a workaholic and I was following in his footsteps. What Dad wanted done, got done. Days off were few and far between. One of my jobs was clearing trees, stumps and bush for firebreaks using a tractor with a front end loader blade. On the surface, I love the pioneering work. I love developing a brand new farm, but deep down, I felt unfulfilled because of my new love for the Lord Jesus. Two years before, my life had been greatly transformed by Christ. We set up a longing to tell others of the gospel. So raking, pushing, and picking up sticks and stumps just didn't cut the mustard. One Sunday morning, I was out in the bush, out in the middle of nowhere, when in anguish I felt constrained to stop the tractor and talk to God. With just the sound of bush birds, I, I sat on the ground next to the tractor's back wheel and lamented and poured out my heart to God. Tears welled up and ran down my cheeks as I cried out to the Lord, Lord, how long? How long, Lord? My father is so irreligious and hard to get on with. I, I feel bound to pleasing him all the time, and I often fail to live up to his standards and expectation, and he gets really wild about that. I feel terribly trapped. How long, Lord, I cried. Lord, I would love to go to church. I would love to get involved in ministry. Well, that was my lament. And Psalm 13, delving into Psalm 13 this week, just brought back that vivid memory. So I identify deeply with David here. He was um, there with his faith, but his faith was almost buried under a weight of daily anguish, of feeling uh, that the Lord had distanced himself from him and uh, was somewhat disinterested in his lot. Our faith can become buried. It can become buried by a mountain of anxiety and fear and worry. But then the beautiful thing in this psalm is that in faith we can rise up with undaunted desire. Notice what it says in the psalm here. David prays, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. And that leads us to the second section which shows how he moves from questioning God and entreating God to, to entreating God. It shows that faith comes to the fore when we entreat the Lord to work. At times, like David, we may lose sight of God's presence. And uh, those times are when it appears as though God has hidden his face and looked away. I, I remember a young girl, a young girl called Helen, not my Helen, but she was a girl who was struggling in her praying for her, 
unbelieving parents. And she felt as though her prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. She sensed separation and was puzzled by God's silence. She felt as though her petitions weren't, were being ignored and there was no answer coming. I wonder, has that ever been your experience? It certainly was David's. But read verse 3, and you have to take your hat off to him. In his anguish of heart, he doesn't stop praying. He shows determination. His determination is to see God work. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. You have to admire his tenacity and his passionate desire. But, but don't miss, though, his tenderness here. Uh, the pronoun my, my God. Here he is in his anguish, and he warms to his Lord. There's an affection and an appreciation of his Lord. Oh, my God. His tenderness is tied that it's tied to believing. It's tied to believing confidence. It's like it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So knowing his existence, David wants his Lord to look to him and listen to him. He's saying, Lord, please give me answers. Give me answers to my questions. So what do we do when we are lamenting our situation and don't appear to have the attention of the Lord and don't appear to be getting answers to our prayers? Well, it's a bit like uh, bike riding with humpdeen variables. You have to say to yourself, push on, keep pedaling. That's what we need to do in prayer. We need to... Uh, we need to push on. We need to keep praying. Ralph Davis says, there are times when faith does not have its reasons, but it still has its reactions. He calls it the instinct of faith. The instinct of faith is when you realize that despite our anguish and our distress, God is nearby and approachable that he can be trusted, that he is in control, and he has good reason for his silence. What we need to do is go on waiting on God. There's a picture of this over in the book of Revelation in chapter 6 and verse 10. The souls of those who have been martyred for their testimony to Jesus are now with God in heaven, and they cry out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So here are these martyred saints that are so distressed by God's seeming reluctance and slowness to act and vindicate them. And the word that comes to them is they are told to be patient and to rest and to wait a little longer. Well, our lot, along with the psalmist, is to plow on in prayer, but then to patiently wait for God's working. 
the instinct of faith surmises that our sense of abandonment and uh, his activity will come to an end. In verse 3, David prays, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. I love what the uh, New Living Translation says. It says, Restore the sparkle to my eyes. Now, illness is, is often picked up by looking at people's eyes. And so David's praying, praying that the awfulness of what he's going through will pass before he sees death. He's being very frank to God. He's saying, Lord, if you don't answer me, I might die and my enemies will gloat over me of what has happened to me. They will think that they have won and they will gloat about the shakiness of my faith. Lord, it won't look good and it won't be good. David's almost saying here, Lord, you're here. Your glory's at stake in this. Please answer. I mean, we see the same thing with regard to the Lord Jesus. Uh, he prayed with anguish. He played with tears and prayed with heaviness of heart. But yet there was this underlying faith that his father could do something and could draw near and attend to him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he lamented, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And when he was up on the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? But he was looking. He was looking to the help of his father. In our anguish, we need too, to, to look to God, our father. Look to him for our help. But sometimes we need to go to that help with other people, in others' company. We need somebody else to pray with. Over this COVID-19 period, I've witnessed a number of um, fellow Christians that uh, have been perplexed, distressed, even angry. But then they've joined in the fellowship of prayer and they've been ministered to. That through prayer they've found that the Lord has been there and he's humbled them and he's encouraged them and he's brought changes of attitude and he's brought calm to their lives. Here we see this in Psalm 13. We see David in his deep anguish, but he presses on in prayer. He entreats God to work and change comes. I'm not sure about you, but I find this inspirational. Years ago, my pastor at Albany Baptist uh, gave me a little book called The Psalter. Just a, it was just a little book. It's by an old preacher called Graham Scroggy. And along with my Bible, it became a great companion and a great help while I was sharing all around Western Australia, getting enough money to go to Bible college. And Scroggy said in his little book, he said, we don't need to pray long to pray powerfully. He said, look at the shortness of the psalmist's prayer in Psalm 13. And look at some of the prayers of other people. Think of um, Peter when he was about to sink on Lake Galilee. Think of his prayer. Or the publican in the temple, his prayer. Or the prodigal son uh, in the foreign land, his prayer. Brevity is often born out of urgency. It certainly was here with David in Psalm 13. But the other and the third thing to, to note in this psalm is the movement in the psalm. Uh, David starts out questioning, 
He goes on to entreat the Lord to work. But then as you come to verses 5 and 6, you see firm trust in the Lord. It shows that when our faith flows, we exalt the Lord. Notice how this section, this third section begins. There is a stark contrast with the psalm's, psalmist's initial words and the enemy's gloating words. And such contrasts are frequently featured in the Psalms. Often there's a turnaround. I think of the turnaround in Psalm 73, where the psalmist says, my, my feet almost slipped. I, I almost stumbled. And then further on in the psalm, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. I mean, it's a reminder that anguish can be turned, turned to new desire, to fresh appreciation, and to renewed joy. God comes alongside of us and bucks us up. So how do these turnarounds take place? What makes a difference? Well, it doesn't come by looking to yourself, by taking a selfie to bolster your esteem and to make yourself feel better. No, it comes by looking to God, by seeing who he is and valuing his goodness. Notice in verse 5, the use of the emphatic pronoun, but I, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. The turnaround here in this psalm comes as he deliberately recalls and thinks upon God's hesed, upon his ever-dependable steadfast love and tender mercy. Uh, this brings another memory to mind. Part of my training for the ministry took place at, the, at BTCQ, which is the Baptist Theological College of Queensland. And our principal at the time, Dr. Ted Gibson, was an excellent Hebrew scholar. He would frequently highlight God's hesed in his Old Testament Hebrew lectures. But when he ever came across this word, which really, uh, he, he, would, he would develop a, a deep guttural use in the throat. Cursed, he would say. Cursed. Well, uh, we got the message. And every time we, we, we saw this word in the scriptures and saw God's loving, uh, unforgettable kindness, we thought of Dr. Gibson with his guttural pronunciation. God's kissed is amazing. Just consider for a moment the waywardness, the rebellion, and the ungratefulness often demonstrated by God's people in the Old Testament. And yet again and again, God rescues them from dictating domineering nations, from deadening idolatry and forgetfulness of his law. It shows how God sticks by his people. It's not deserved and it's certainly not earned. But there comes an element of surprise with God's head as he comes and rescues and releases and restores and revives and refuels his people. Ralph Davis describes God's kissed as the, and I love this, the unguessable and lavish friendliness of the Lord, which he pledges to dog our tracks all our days. That's a great quote. Well, we have a determinedly dogged, loving Lord, don't we? Who wants us to do us good 
despite all our variables of anguish and bad attitudes and depression and anxiety and fear and aloneness. It uh, makes you think about Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for good. And all these things that he does, it arises out of his own good nature. And so wherever the objects of God's said, especially in salvation, notice what uh, David says here, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I mean, stop and consider it yourself. Consider your cross one salvation in Christ. Consider how Jesus has gone to the cross and has rescued you and released you from your bondages, from the bondage of the will, the bondage to self, the bondage to sin, the bondage to the world, bondage to the judgment of death and bondage to Satan. We are bountifully rescued, bountifully blessed by God's bountiful loving kindness. So let's stop for another moment. Stop, pause, ponder, and recount God's many blessings. And, and recount from this psalm how God moves us from a how long moment to a but I moment. From feeling low, isolated, and forgotten. When we may feel like we may never get away or get free of the effects of the virus or never get another job or never go overseas again or never again get ahead financially. Consider how he comes to us in the course of prayer and he lifts us up and turns us around and causes us to go one step further from what we see in verse 5 as the but I to in verse 6, an I will moment. A moment when we want to break out in song or in, ha in a happy whistle to the Lord. Now it all arises as we keep on praying, as we believe and trust in the Lord's bountiful goodness. So as a little practical shut-in exercise today, I would suggest that we, we pick a favourite Bible verse or a Christian song, commit it to memory, and then sing it out or hum it out or whistle it out. Better still, try composing your own song based on your own God-given experience. If I had time, I would tell you what happened from my lament next to the tractor on that Sunday morning. God did hear, and in time, God did answer. That's a story for another day. In conclusion today, Psalm 13 is a never-to-be-forgotten psalm. Ponder it. And as you call it to mind, think of Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, where the writer depicts Jesus at prayer. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And who was heard because of his reverence. It resulted in his becoming the eternal source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Is Jesus the source of salvation for you? Have you heard him addressing you? And have you come to obey him? At times, you may be caused to pray, to pray like Jesus with mourning and tears. You may have times of anguish and oppression, even depression when you feel abandoned by God. 
it's then prayer can be a real slog. But that's the very time when you're driven to God and you discover that he is listening and he does understand and he is prepared to answer you out of the goodness of his own heart. So my encouragement to you today is continue to be real resilient in prayer. Be Trojan-like, be workman-like, keep praying, keep trusting the Lord. Trust him to lift you up and deliver you and bring you to a position of fresh, joyous assurance. H.C. Leopold says of Psalm 13, faith has climbed out of the lowest depths of despair where it had well nigh perished into the full sunshine of godly hope. Now it can wait for the help to come. Faith is sure that the Lord will not fail him. Keep praying and keep desiring God to work. Let's pray together. Our dear, dear Father, we say thank you for giving us a psalm like Psalm 13, where we can identify deeply with David and what he went through. And Father, thank you for the way that you brought him through an experience in the course of prayer, where Father, you refreshed him, where he was reinvigorated, where he just came to a position of rejoicing in the Lord and what you'd done for him. And Father, we can, we can think of times and maybe we're right in a time that way ourselves at the moment. Lord, give us hope, give us confidence in you. Help us to think upon and appreciate afresh your unfailing love, your steadfast love, and count upon that. So bless us today. Uplift us if we need uplifting. Encourage us if we need encouraging. And Father, help us to be men and women of faith in your unfailing love. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.